Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. We, are, we, we closed out our series last week. We're opening up a new series. And this summer, we're going to do something different, especially for me as a communicator, something that I've never done before in all of my years of preaching and pastoring. Now, this is something I've always thought would be super fruitful to do as a church and as a body of believers, but I've never actually just taken the step to do it. But for the next few weeks, um, we're going to kind of move away from what we know as or would recognize as topical preaching. Instead of doing a series over a certain theological topic or thought or uh, um, some sort of subject, we are going to take the next few weeks to journey through an entire book of the Bible verse by verse. Who, ex- who ex- Does that excite anybody in the room? Okay, we got like three feet. Everyone else is like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Come on, it's going to be, it's going to be good. We're going to journey through the entire book of Ephesians, verse by verse. And, and I have to be honest, I'm expecting that as we do this, the Lord is going to reveal so much to us about who he is, but not only who he is, I also believe we are going to rediscover, maybe uncover so much about who he's created us to be too. I think we're going to learn a little something about ourselves through the perspective of the Father's eyes. Commentator Klein Snodgrass wrote this about Ephesians specifically. Pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document ever written. That's huge. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a Welsh minister and medical doctor, this incredible man of God, he, he wrote this. I like his quote a little better. He said, it's very difficult to speak of Ephesians in a controlled manner because of its greatness and because of its sublimity. He says, many have tried to describe it. One writer has described it as the crown and the climax of Pauline theology. Another has said that it is the distilled essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate compendium of our holy Christian faith. Come on, if that doesn't sound Catholic, I don't know what does. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Here's the truth. Or maybe it's not the truth. Maybe it's an assumption I have, but... I think oftentimes as believers, we allow the scriptures to intimidate us. I think we have this preconceived notion, this preconceived thought that, yeah, I can go to my Bible and I can pick it up and actually read it. But if I do, I'm not going to understand any of it. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense to me. Right now, maybe we wouldn't raise our hands in the room and and, and say that. And part of that might be we just might be reading the wrong translation. We need to read something a little simpler. (laughs) But I think that oftentimes, I I think we can feel overwhelmed when it comes to interpreting the scriptures and and comprehending the text of what it's going to say. And and if you feel like that in this room, um, I want to help fix your perspective by assuring you that the simple thought that the Bible isn't as confusing as you think. It's just not. It's not as confusing as we think. Now, because I, I feel like that's something that happens in, in, in the body of believers. I think sometimes we mystify the text so badly um, that, that we don't believe that we could really grasp any of it other than a couple of verses. Now, 
Are you going to be reading through the Bible? Are there times where I'm reading through the text and, and I read something and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not really sure what that means? Sure, that happens. Like, will there be times when you're reading through the four Gospels and you read something Jesus says and you're like, I have no idea what that means? Yeah, his disciples didn't know everything that Jesus was saying. They're like, hey, uh, can you explain this one to me? Because I don't get it. But for the most part, I think we are more than capable of digesting, internalizing, comprehending, and understanding the text. And as we do, church, I believe it will transform the very essence of who we are. The word of God is powerful. It's the sword of the spirit. You'll see at the end of Ephesians where we talk about the armor of God, that the word of God is the sword of the spirit and everything else, you know, the shoes of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, everything else is a defense mechanism. But there's one thing that we fight with. There's one thing that has power. There's one thing that cuts through, cuts through everything, right? And that's the word of the Lord. That's the scriptures. It's refining. So, like I said, you'll, you'll have those moments where, man, I don't really understand that. I need help understanding that. But for the most part, I, I, I don't think they're as confusing. And I'm hoping that as we go through the, uh, an entire book together, our eyes and our hearts will be open to that fact. So I'm fired up. I'm fired up to walk through Ephesians. I think it's going to be incredible. And I'm expectant, again, that many of us will have our eyes open to the fullness of God um, in a new way. Okay? Y'all ready? Let's do this. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Father, in this moment, um, I just pray that you would open up our hearts, soften the soil of our hearts to receive the seed of your word. God, I pray as we go through this text um, that your, the seed of your word would land on fertile soil. It would grow to produce fruit in our lives. Help us not just to hear this word, but help us to apply this word to our life. God, I pray that this wouldn't be just a, a room full of people who comes and listens and leaves the same. I pray that we would take this word, we'd hold on to it, we'd wrestle it, wrestle on it, we chew on it, God, we'd allow it to refine us. Um, I pray that you'd accomplish what you'd will in this place, in Jesus' holy and mighty name, amen. So Ephesians chapter one, verse one through two, here we go, come on, this is gonna be good. Ephesians one, verses one through two, it says this, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to write, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So right from the get, as we read this text, as we open up the book of Ephesians, we learn some things, okay? But we're also confronted with some questions. So we know that Ephesians is a letter. So this was a letter that was being written by a man, and the man that it's being written by is named Paul. We get that much. We understand that. But it begs the question, who is Paul? And what does it mean when he says he was chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus? What does that mean? What is an apostle? What does that mean? Right? There, there's some questions that we're confronted with right off the bat. So I think that we should answer some of these questions before we move on to the rest of the verse. I think it's vital we take time to lay out a sturdy foundation of what this letter to Ephesus is all about so we can better understand this book and this letter as we move through it for the following weeks to come. So first, let's take a little look at the author named Paul who apparently is chosen by God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, did anybody watch services online when we were, you know, our doors were closed due to COVID? Okay, five people, praise God. No, I'm just playing. There's, there's enough. 
So over that, that 11 or 12 weeks or whatever, I gave two messages. And in the first message I gave, it was called Closed on Sunday. I opened up to Acts chapter 9. And I walked through the whole kind of transformation of Saul, also known as Paul, where he was basically a, a Christian killer and turned to Christian missionary, okay? He has this radical transformation. So if you guys want to know a little bit more, you can go back. That message is on our YouTube channel. You can watch that. Again, it's called Closed on Sundays, or you can just read Acts chapter 9 for yourself, and you can go through the whole transformation story of um, Saul as he was on the road to Damascus. But to briefly recap here, to catch us up, Paul was born into a devoutly Jewish family. His father was a Pharisee, and Paul grew up to become a Pharisee too. And maybe you're like, what is a Pharisee? Okay, a Pharisee was a member of a specific Jewish sect that was passionate about keeping the oral and written law of the Old Testament. So they are passionate about following the, the rules of the, of the Old Testament and the, and the oral law of the Old Testament, where you know they're very strict, very disciplined lives. Um, they were so strict, they were so disciplined, they were so committed to following this set of rules that they would oftentimes be unwilling to associate with anyone who thought different, looked different, believed different, talked different. They had to live set apart, right? They had to set themselves apart from society. They were above society. They catch this rap of almost being self-righteous because of how strict they were in their spiritual discipline. So Paul's passion, um, you, you'll see that Paul is a passionate man, but his passion fuels him to become what I would recognize as a radical Pharisee. Paul isn't just satisfied with, with the basic ins and outs of being a Pharisee. He owns this thing. He wears this identity. Now, what I think is beautiful is I think that even, even this passion Paul has, it's definitely misplaced. But I think even in the early stages of Paul's life, we actually get a glimpse of the gifting that God has put in Paul. How many of us in here, I wonder, there's gifts that are just misplaced right now in our lives. But really, it, but it's the fabric of who we are that's a part of the calling God's placed on our lives. So we see Paul was passionate, but his passion was just misplaced. Paul doesn't believe Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He's, he, you know, regular Jewish belief, he's believing the Messiah is going to return. And they're going to be an earthly king, and they're going to have power and be a, a, a massive political figure. And there's no way Jesus could have been the Messiah this dude was lowly. This dude was, you know, Nazareth. Come on. Jesus, that's not the Messiah. Y'all are fooled. But, but more and more believers, as Jesus came to earth, now Paul and Jesus were alive at the same time. Paul was alive same time as the 12 disciples. Jesus comes to earth, walks around, does miracles, lives out this life, lives this amazing life, gets these followers and disciples. He's teaching people, right? He dies. He gets put in the grave. He resurrects. He, 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 sent, he wakes up three days later, walks around on earth for 40 days, then he ascends to heaven. Then he pours out his spirit on the believers. So now the good Good news about Jesus being the savior of the world, being the Messiah is spreading like crazy because people are empowered by God. This frustrates Saul. There's no way Jesus is the Messiah. There's no way Jesus is the savior of the world, right? And it's my job. Paul says, as a Pharisee, it is my job to put an end to this movement. I don't want anyone talking about Jesus. I don't want them thinking about Jesus. I don't want them looking like Jesus. I don't want them believing in Jesus. I don't want any of that going on. So Paul takes it upon himself to single-handedly, I guess 
put teams of people together, but he's trying to destroy what we'll see is referred to as the way, which is following Jesus. These Jesus, he doesn't want anyone following Jesus. He's going to persecute Christians. He commits his life to persecuting Christians so he can destroy the church. Now, something so supernatural, it's just, I, I can't even think of the word, the magnitude of, of Saul's encounter, who is also known as Paul, his encounter with Jesus. He, he goes to some of the uh, leaders in his town and he says, hey, I want to go to this place called Damascus. He goes, and I want to take care of the believers there. So Paul is literally with this group of, group of men on his way to persecute Christians, on his way to persecute believers, and Jesus reveals himself to Paul and, is, and literally just asks Paul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, this is after Jesus has died, ascended, poured out his spirit. Jesus reveals himself to Paul and says, why, why are you persecuting me? Long story short, Paul goes blind. He, 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 he's led to a man named Ananias. Ananias is supposed to pray for this man named Paul. So he lays hands, prays for him, prays for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and as he prays for him, these scales fall off of Paul's eyes. But e even though there was this physical falling off and there was physical new sight, it's also, I feel like it's symbolic that Paul receives new spiritual sight. He's transformed. He's never the same. His whole mission, his whole calling, his whole purpose, his whole identity now has shifted. It's been made new. And, he, and everything that he once stood for, he's now against. He's living in the newness of who God's created him to be. As I read the scriptures in Acts, it says, Paul became more and more powerful. It says he preached the gospel with boldness. And now we see Paul starting to associate with the apostles, having them test his theology. He's like, hey, I want to make sure I'm getting this message right. Like, I'm with y'all. I'm on y'all's team now. Like, this is, man, he, everything's turned around. Now, many people hear this term apostle, and I think we instantly think of Jesus' disciples. So Jesus' disciples were referred to as apostles, but then we see Paul was referred to as an apostle. So what, uh, okay, I, can, I, I understand, okay, they walked around with Jesus, so what makes Paul an apostle? Is there a difference between disciple and apostle? And, and maybe sometimes we hear those words and they're used interchangeably, but they are indeed different things. A disciple, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Come on, a little Bible class, never hurt anybody, Amen. A disciple is a student with a teacher. So if you're a disciple, then really the ultimate goal of that position is to heed, is to learn as much as possible, to sit and soak and receive and grow and learn, increase your knowledge, okay? If you're a disciple, that is the goal. You want to learn as much as possible from your teacher. Now, an apostle, here's where they differ. They differ. An apostle is a messenger sent with a commission. An apostle is someone who is sent out, commissioned by someone else. So you'll see the disciples, they, they, the disciples, they spent time as disciples, but then they were basically turned into apostles. They were then commissioned by Jesus to go spread the good news, to go spread the gospel. But not every disciple 
in this time, just because you were a disciple doesn't mean you graduate on to be an apostle. An apostle, it's this special anointing. It's this special gifting. It's one of the gifts that the church, it's, it's one of the positions the church produces. This is, so the disciples, they learned, but then they were commissioned to go. Paul had an encounter with Jesus, right? And, and, and Jesus, and, and it's filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he's commissioned by Jesus to go spread the message. So Paul becomes an apostle. Like I said, an apostle carries a special anointing, a gifting to effectively spread the gospel. So even though Paul didn't walk with Jesus like the disciples did, um, Paul did encounter Jesus. He did see Jesus. He saw him on the road to Damascus. Jesus came and appeared to him personally. So Paul is an apostle, but different than the, the disciples in the fact that he didn't walk around with Jesus while he was on earth. Does that make sense? Okay, praise God. Um, <clears throat> so Paul, when he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, so Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 2 that we read in the beginning, Paul's writing this letter from a prison cell. But years before he writes this letter to the Ephesians, Paul spent some time in Ephesus. So I think before we move forward in Ephesians, I want to go back a couple years to identify why Paul is even writing to Ephesus in the first place. And I want to talk a little bit about the relationship he had with these people. So we'll actually, I, I know we're going through Ephesians and that's what we're going to talk about, but I think we need to turn back to Acts to where Paul is first introduced. This is shortly after his transformation. He's now spreading the message, the good news of Jesus, and he encounters Ephesus for the first time. And man, it is pretty incredible what God does through this man in this city. Um, so let, let's talk about it a little bit. Now, uh, now understand, as he's walking into Ephesus, I want you to have an idea of some of the culture of Ephesus. What does Ephesus look like? like what is it all about? What are they known for? So it had a major sheltered port. It was located on several significant trade routes, okay? So it's this commercial center, uh, famous for its silk route and its spice route. And so there's business happening and trade happening. Um, and in the first century, this city was a major commercial center. Uh, they had a large slave market and international populations. Scholars say this about Ephesus, that in the New Testament era, it was the fourth greatest city in the world. And Ephesus was actually the center of worship for the goddess Artemis. So as you can imagine, with this mythology and all that, you, you can imagine it's full of occult practices like sorcery, astrology, fortune telling. And, and, and there's also the, the town is corrupt with perversion. There's prostitution happening out of the temples in Ephesus. So understand all that as Paul kind of moseys his way on to Ephesus. Ephesus has no idea what's about to happen through this man. Okay, so Acts 19, here we go. It says, while Apollos, who, who's another guy Paul did ministry with, was in Corinth, it says Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. So we see Paul walks into Ephesus and he, and he finds some of the believers there. Okay, so he's like, hey, you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Oh, okay, hey, come on, we're all believers. And Paul asks a, an interesting question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No. They replied, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Like, what is that? Who's that? What is that? 
right? So you can, you can tell as Paul's walking into Ephesus, there's some spiritual maturity that needs to take place in the people there. They, they don't yet understand the full message of the gospel, that Jesus came, lived perfect, died, resurrected, poured out his spirit, empowered us to live new lives, changed our eternity, okay? So he says, they, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, well, I got lots to tell y'all, okay? He says, then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Now remember, if we look back into Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus, right? But John the Baptist was baptizing people with what message? Repent because the kingdom of heaven is, is near. Repent and be baptized because the kingdom of heaven is near. So they heard of the baptism of John. This is a baptism for repentance. I'll keep reading. Verse 4, Paul said, so John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself, remember, John the Baptist, and Paul's having this conversation with the people. He says, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. So he said, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. That's why today we get baptized in the name of Jesus, okay? It says, and then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. So we see right off the bat, Paul steps into the city Ephesus, has a short conversation with 12 believers, baptize them, prays for them. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak out. There's things happening wildly right off the bat. And this is only the beginning of what God's going to do in this man, Paul. Okay, this is, this is wild. It says, then Paul went, and if that wasn't enough, it says, then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some people became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him, and they held daily discussions. They started having life group in the lecture hall, okay? He says, y'all don't want to hear my message? Those who do, let's roll. Come on. So he takes them. They go into um, the, the hall of Tyrannus, and this went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard of the word of the Lord. Long story short, man, we see Paul, he walks into the city Ephesus, and God, through this one man, through this man's boldness and obedience, brings revival to the city, okay? Lights this city up, and he ministered there for three years doing this. Put his nose to the grindstone, accomplishing this work for the gospel, loving people well, challenging the beliefs and thoughts of others, starting small groups, loving these people. Right now, he was once destroying the church. Now he's building up the church. He's, in essence, creating the church in different cities. And Ephesus wasn't the only city he did this in. Paul traveled around all over the place and did this everywhere he went. Okay, what an incredible man of God. But in one chapter later, we see Paul gives this, he has this farewell conversation with some of the elders in Ephesus. So some of the people who have rose up as leaders, some of the people he trusts to oversee the other believers in Ephesus, he, he has this, it's time for Paul to move on. He's a missionary. He's done what he's accomplished, what needs to be accomplished in Ephesus. So, so he has this farewell conversation and we get to listen to it. Y'all good? Y'all with me? Okay. So, so here's this goodbye question. It's so like, I just, <laughs> I'll just. Talk about it in a second. Here we go. Acts 20, verses 28 through 38. This is Paul talking to the elders. He goes, okay, guys, it's like this one last speech, this farewell speech. He says, so guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood. 
over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you guys as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw following. Paul's saying, listen, even some of these leaders, they're going to get power hungry and try to steer believers away. Your job, guys, is, is to keep this thing moving in the way that it's supposed to, okay? He goes, watch out. He says, remember the three years I was with you. So we see that Paul was in Ephesus for three years, building up the body of believers. He goes, remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care for you day and night and my many tears for you. You can see Paul's heart breaks for these people. He loved these people. They were best friends. They had incredible memories. He watched their kids graduate high school. He went to Eddie's grandma's funeral. They did life. They had moments together. He says, and now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Paul says, I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine work to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And everybody said, amen. Verse 36, almost, almost wrapping this up here. It says, when he had finished speaking, he knelt and he prayed with them. So Paul gives this farewell speech. He kneels and he prays. And it says, and they all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. You can see not only did Paul's heart break for these people, but they are literally crying because he's leaving. They, I mean, they love, Paul established this deep bond with the people in Ephesus. It says they were sad most of all because he had said he'd never see him again. He's off to go do the work of the Lord, right? So then they ex escorted him down to the ship. When I read this, so y'all know I'm from Rhode Island. Like I graduated high school, then I went to Evangel University. So I graduated high school and, and, I, and I moved halfway across the country. My family moved too. And I remember when I was leaving, me and all my bros from Rhode Island, you know, it's like, yeah, come on. We're all on my deck the night I'm leaving and literally all my friends are crying. Dude, it's like you're dying. <laughs> We're never going to see you again. And literally, this is what I pictured as, as I'm going through the story. I'm watching Paul, you know, talk with all these believers. Like, I love you, man. I love you, too. Just, you know, give your mom a hug for me. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll keep in touch. We'll text, you know. That's what I thought of. So now it's years later. Paul's in a prison cell. It's years later from that moment. They walked him down to the ship. A Ephesus never thinks they're going to see Paul again, but he's writing them a letter from his prison cell, and you have to consider the love they had for each other. How excited they must have been to receive this letter from Paul, who they thought they'd never hear from, never see again. Here it is. So Paul opens up the letter. With all that in mind, Paul opens up the letter, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 2. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He says, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I love the way Paul opens up this letter. It's almost like he reminds the Ephesians who they are. Hey, just in, just in case, uh, if you've forgot since I haven't been there to remind you, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. You are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. It's like he reminds them. I love this. Paul's saying, y'all are God's holy people. But I want us to understand this. They're not God's holy people because of what they've done. This isn't a snooty remark, right? 
Paul's addressing them as holy, and he's reminding the people of Ephesus they're holy because they've put their faith and trust in Jesus. How many know Jesus is the only one who makes us holy? He's the only one who makes us righteous. He's the only one who can set us apart. It's only found in the name of Jesus. And to emphasize this point, I ripped a little bit from another letter, another letter Paul wrote because I feel like he explains this much better than me. Now, you have to understand all these other religions. And we, it's, it's funny how the Father's Day message is kind of lining up with this stuff because, you know, even Paul coming from that Pharisee background where it's achieve, 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 do, do, do. And that's going to be your eternal reward. It's going to be based off what you do and how you perform. And the gospel goes against every, everything else. When everything else says you got to perform to have value, you got to achieve to be the best and, and get what you deserve. The gospel says you deserve nothing, but I gave you everything. That's the message of the gospel. So he says this. Paul wrote this. I, I ripped this from his letters uh, to Philippi. So in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, Paul wrote this. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Kim, if you want to jump up on the keys, that would be great. <clears throat> got to catch my breath. I'm screaming. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. TMI, Paul, but thanks. <laughs> Y'all are immature. No. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. It, like, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. You want to see someone who should be, like, referred to as holy? Someone who marks off all the boxes to be holy, but, but he's not done. He keeps going, I was a member of the Pharisees. They demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And for, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. If there was a rule, if there was a to-do, I did it. And I did it without fault. Paul's saying if there's anyone who has the right to say, I achieved, I'm holy, I worked hard to get my right standing with God, it's me. It's me. But then listen, he goes, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Just one more time. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else. Counting it all is garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I, I, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Jesus. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith, depends on belief. You'll discover as we continue to read through Ephesians, Paul, I'm excited for next week as we go through verses three through 14, and you can read it. You can read Ephesians with us as we go through it, but Paul only emphasizes the finished work of the cross, and he emphasizes what that means for us as believers. He tells us, he reminds us, he encourages us in who we are in Christ Jesus, because outside of Christ Jesus, you are nothing. I don't care what your position is at work. I don't care, I don't care what your kids achieve. 
I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how big your house is. I don't care. Apart from Jesus, we are nothing. There's one thing that gives us value in this life, and it's the person, Jesus. That's, that's it. And in him, we are made new. So in, in the following weeks to come, we'll, we'll dive a little deeper into that. But I think we all needed that reminder this morning that everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. Everything else is worthless. Everything else is worthless. And I think maybe we've been walking through life and, man, I've been depressed. And, you know, I'm hoping this will make me feel better. Man, I feel empty. I'm hoping this will make me feel better. And there's this, there's this, black hole in our heart and you can try and fill it with whatever you want with whatever achievement with with whatever substance whatever you you can try and fill this hole but you will never be made whole until you return to the thing that you were created for the thing you were created through right this life is all about Jesus everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ and I'm just curious do you know Jesus this morning do you know Jesus? Because he's extended the invitation to all of us with eyes closed, head bowed. If you're in this room and you're like, man, I'm ready to know Jesus. If that's you, would you put your hand up in the air right now? Man, I'm ready to know Jesus. I'm ready to know Jesus. Would there be anybody else? Come on, let's stand together. Let's say this prayer together. Bible says in Romans, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's the greatest news we could ever hear. So let's do that as, as a family. Let's do that with one voice. Let's confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, Jesus is Lord. That sound okay? Can you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, Jesus, we confess with our mouths. We really believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord came to this earth you walked around and then you died for me thank you for taking my sin thank you for making me new you have my whole heart I'll serve you for the rest of my days it's in Jesus name thank you so much for joining us special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry it's because of you that this ministry is possible you can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.